0: Welcome back everyone to another episode of a little more good. We are uh, glad to be here. Glad to be uh, with you. Thanks for tuning in as always. Um, kind of a different episode for us today. We are not always uh, a topical podcast, a podcast that deals with, you know, things that are going on in the news. Zach and I will often you know, armchair quarterback, certain things, and we have had you know conversations with uh, incredible guests about things like environmentalism and what's going on and has been going on with land defenders in Fairy Creek and um, other other such things that are important to us and. This conversation today kind of is is a little bit of a, a different version of our podcast for us. We are joined by uh, the legendary Dr. Danny Unra, uh, who is um, someone who has a wealth of experience when it comes to speaking on um, Israel and Palestine and kind of the history and story of that region of the world. And this is the, kind of the direction we're going to take for this podcast today. Uh, Zach and I have often talked about how important it is to learn from people uh, who have different lenses and different experiences and even from different generations. So Danny, uh, you're doubling as the podcast guest today, but you're also my father-in-law. So if I if I start to glaze over and roll my eyes, it's because I've heard some of these stories before. <laughs> um, but we're so glad to have you join us. Uh, Danny, you've been a pastor for many, many, many years, giving people spiritual guidance and counsel through births, deaths, funerals, um and everything in between and you're no stranger to walking through uh, hardship and tragedy and struggle mm. and have given people wise counsel on how do we move forward in times of seemingly intractable conflict whether it's in our own lives, in our own communities or as we're kind of experiencing today in the world at large. So um I guess as we dive in, first things first is thank you for being here. And second of all, to everyone tuning in and who is already maybe sitting on the edge of their seat or, you know, uh, wondering out on their walk, oh, where's this going to go? We are in no way experts, any of us here. We are in no way attempting to solve a conflict or pretend like there isn't um, an incredible sw- uh, sense of pain on all sides. And uh, as we'll kind of unravel and and uncover a deep, deep deep-rooted history of land, of faith, of loss and tragedy and war and conflict and times of relative peace, and it's all mixed up in in this... um, unique moment that we're experiencing now with this this uh israeli hamas war so anyway uh, as way of an introduction it's a little bit longer um but I just wanted to say we're here to be open and to learn and to wonder and to further the conversation and move it to a place of a little more good mm. knowing that even that feels at times impossible but how do we have a posture of heart where we can say we're open to learn and see all sides and, and wonder how peace can prevail Hmm. in a a very intractable seeming situation. So Danny, thank you. Thank you so much for coming and sharing with us. Good to be here. Yeah, yeah. Maybe um, you can start us off with some history. Like I know you've been to the Middle East, you've been to Israel and toured around the different areas into the West Bank and all over Jordan, Egypt. Um, You've been there over 25 times and have done a master's degree there. You've lived there for a period of time. You and Lois, your wife, uh, have lived there and kind of really, really experienced the culture as someone who is uh, a relative outsider, but very close to the heartbeat of, of what that place is like. So, so how, maybe give us some history about how do we get to where we are here
1: today? Um. Sure. Uh, there's lots to tell today, and we'll try not to tell it all so that there's something left for us to digest afterwards, of course. Um, first visited in Israel uh, 49 years ago, just in that first year after the Yom Kippur War of 1973, uh, my wife Lois and I were traveling in Europe, uh, ran out of money, or were running out of money and didn't want to go home, and heard the rumor on the streets of, uh, of Western Europe and in the hostels that you could go to Israel and Live in a kibbutz, and uh, and never have to go home. And so, uh, we did want to go home someday. But so we ended up in Israel for three months, working on a kibbutz in the in the Galilee, and made friends there. And of course, saw some of the wreckage and ruin yet from the Yom Kippur War. We made it up onto the the Golan Heights, of course, which was new territory for Israel at uh, after after that war. And uh, and became interested in in the history of the place. Um, uh, so, our, our going there in the first place was just to not go home. Although I had some kind of yearning about uh, about things Jewish. I grew up a Mennonite boy in southern Manitoba. My uh, my parents were immigrants uh, as teenagers with uh, with my grandparents in 1926. Uh, and probably, and it's been asked by people who who know me, and, and in fact by my own parents, uh, asked. Uh, as I became interested in things Jewish and things in the Middle East, and, and I have uh, always had an interest in religious studies, uh, especially uh, across different religious lines, uh, whether I was influenced by, uh, by his stories. My dad was a storyteller. I didn't know my grandparents well. But he talked about a Jewish tailor living outside the edge of the Mennonite village in Siberia, where my parents were born, and uh, and spoke favorably of this of this Jewish tailor who would come and, and sew all the cl- or the clothes for all the people in this Mennonite village what struck me very early on that in that story was that my father proceeded to tell me that these Mennonite villages in their in their uh, devout Christianity were s- somewhat anti-semitic. My grandfather's house was the only house in which the Jewish tailor was allowed to enter. Mm-hmm. So when he would come every month or a month of each year to sew the villagers' clothes, all of their clothes were sewn at my grandfather's place. The, the, the neighbors would allow him to, to sew their clothes, but they wouldn't be allowed in their homes. And then he told a remarkable story one night that my, my father said that they thought that, that my grandfather and the Jewish tailor prayed together at night. Wow. They thought they could hear them. And so my dad asked me shortly before he died in 1982 whether whether he thought that my uh, that my interest in things that Jewish that grew later later and the Middle East and the whole history of people movements and, and everything else was influenced by that. And I said certainly it must have been influenced hmm. because we are generational beings and and family systems theory of which I'm also a, a, a tiny expert in uh, we know that we are influenced unknowingly right with positives and negatives from previous generations mm. and if it's not cleaned up it continues so uh, so the, that was kibbutz I worked on the kibbutz then we went back in the early 1980s for graduate school uh, which we'd been hoping to do someday somewhere in the world and in the meantime I'd be we, my wife and I had both become school teachers and suddenly here we were in Israel uh, because we got an invitation in the uh, in the mail to uh, to apply to go to school there. And so it seemed a good idea. So then we lived there for 19 months, uh, 1980, 81, in a very troubled time in Israel. We took notes of the vehicles along the, the roadways so when we walked to school in the mornings, which was about a mile and a half, which cars had moved, which ones hadn't. It. There were numerous bombings of public buildings and, and, uh, and schools and places in that period. So we lived with... Uh, with uh, some, of those, uh, some of those tensions at the time. And interestingly, the school that I attended, the graduate school, uh, it's now called the, the Jerusalem University College, had a number of Palestinian staff members. And so we ate together and talked together and got to know each other. And of course, I spent almost every hour I could in uh, moving between west and east, uh, east Jerusalem. I would walk from the wall and into the eastern side and, and, and listen to stories and add my own few and that's uh and since then uh wanting to to not leave that behind um since 1998 I've been leading tours for an Israeli tour company um and have done so since 1998 and and that's where probably 23 24 25 tours I wasn't a good uh keeper of my books in those early years my last few years I've got everything written down that I saw but in those so I don't even know exactly how many times I've been there but it's in the neighborhood of 25 times and of course was expecting to go next month yeah and the planes aren't flying now and and I am uh I am uh sort of navigating that with uh with my so-called clients and the company in Tel Aviv so I'm on WhatsApp I'm on texting and taking phone calls and and uh, and hearing from and then getting calls for ask, people saying so what's the answer to this thing as if there's an easy answer <laughs> yeah uh, there isn't yeah
2: I think that acknowledging that there is no easy answers is, is one of the first steps because um, I want to touch on a bunch of the stuff that you mentioned but I, th- I think what we've seen online is it's it's almost become like a a sports spectacle in some ways people are trying to Take sides. They're rushing to a posture that I'm on this side or I'm on that side. And, and I think when you know when children are are dying and being kidnapped and 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 being killed in brutal ways and on both sides of of these lines, I don't think there there are sides. There's a side of suffering and yes. and there's we have to see. You know, Dean and I have spoken to this in an environmental sense, but I think it's very true in terms of conflict, of, of seeing the forest for the trees, mm-hmm. we have to see war and conflict for individuals. Mm-hmm. They're individuals that are suffering, they're not numbers, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, oh, more, there's been more Palestinian deaths, or more Israeli deaths, and they're just numbers on a paper, but those numbers are individuals, and, there... and there's stories, and sadness, and history, and, you know, there's a lot, you could write books on those numbers mm-hmm. if, you, if you see them as individuals, and you touched on something um that I think is one of the steps um to maybe seeing you know, another thing that Dean and I speak often of is is building bridges instead of walls. And mm-hmm. um you mentioned there you would get together and tell stories and share mm-hmm. stories and I think humanity can connect when we hear stories mm. because mm. you know, we start as children, we all seek love. Um Stories are such a big part of every culture, and when mm-hmm. and when we can sit and share stories openly, it creates dialogue of possibility instead of division. So maybe we can start with just some storytelling of like mm-hmm. some of those experiences that you had mm-hmm. in Israel with with Jewish people, with Palestinian people, with Islamic people, mm-hmm. um, with you know Christian people. With it's such a a unique place yeah. where there are peoples of all beliefs and faiths and um you know at the core of all those beliefs are stories Mm -hmm. um so maybe we can share some stories with the idea that that is how we can connect and that is how we can take steps together instead Mm -hmm. of further apart so maybe sharing some of those stories and then we can kind of try to untangle some of Mm -hmm. of how how the world's got here and Um, just to hope for this conversation too, is to, you know, as Sharon before that it's been, um, as someone part of the Jewish community, it's been a very hard time for myself. I've, Mm -hmm. I've, it's hard for me to talk about. I've, I've cried more than I've, you know, ever cried before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm hoping that we can, can try to heal together Mm -hmm. and that, that can go out to our listeners so that they can heal with us. Yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, I would just say uh, before we bridge into a story here, uh, I want to make it clear that that uh, being neither Jewish nor Palestinian, that mine is is a a position, perspective, observation. Mm-hmm. I, I have no right to tell the Jewish story nor the Palestinian story, so I am giving my perspective from from the outside looking in, but knowing have having walked on the soil and, and on the rocks and the stones and the hills there and met with both, uh, had friends on both sides of this story and and I should have added before while I was finishing off my master's degree my wife was working helping uh, an NGO establish kindergartens on the West Bank or or uh, supporting kindergartens so so we then ended up on on both sides with friends and and social contacts that came out of that on both sides of the issue uh, uh, and and one of the stories that I tell coming out of that is, in that time, always uh, trying to be uh, polite and, and respectful Canadians, and that's our opinion our our, our our reputation. And I and I think it holds true in some ways. When we met with our Palestinian friends and and or when we met with our Jewish friends, because it's such a polarized sis, uh, situation. And I know why people polarize. It's it's easier. Mm-hmm. It's easier with your own family. It's easier on your own side, and it's easier to. It's just. It just is. So when we were with our Palestinian friends, we were slightly pro-Israeli, and when we were with our Israeli friends, we were slightly pro-Palestinian. But because we're Canadian, we tried not to be obnoxious about it, but to try to, try to move the yardsticks a little. And I don't know why we even thought that was necessary, but but we saw, we saw the pain of the black and white. Understand? Because the black and white, you can't solve uh and 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 just uh, again to bridge in uh, w- for when i prepare my groups to go into uh, in, into these tours and the tours always uh, and i say israel palestine petra we always end up with in, in jordan <laughs> and before we come home and i tell and and the western people that i that are usually the the clients i take they're usually from churches and they're they're looking for something that that I probably don't provide necessarily all the time because I'm more open-ended than they usually want to be. I said that there are so many contradictions and layers and dilemmas in this story. If you're not more confused when we get home, I haven't done my job. Mm-hmm. You're going, you, some of you, I've already heard you, and I I hear them as they're getting ready to go on this trip, you know, they're going to they're gonna come with the answer, and I say, you're going to have less answers. I've often, in the streets of Jerusalem, you know, you start to listen for... For, uh, for voices and stuff, and we're in little sto- uh, shops, and, and you hear uh, usually usually people from the United States who, who come from maybe a sort of an evangelical Christian kind of position, which uh, which if I'm going to show my colors at all, that's an embarrassing position for me at this point. That's not a term that, that I use in relationship to myself, despite being a retired Christian clergyman. Uh, I stay away from the word evangelical now. It's, it's a negative term. But I hear, I've heard people often say, oh, we're here. When did you get here? Oh, we've been here two days, three days. Oh, what you, what's your plan? What are you here for? Oh, we're here to write a book on the, on the Israeli-Arab conflict. And by the, by the time I first heard that, that it caught my attention, I'd been there maybe six months already, and I started to say to them, well, write your book quickly now while you know the answer. Yeah. Because the longer you'll stay here, the less you'll have to say. And of course... They dismissed me immediately, and so finally I even stopped telling people that story. But, but that, was, that was it. And every time I've come out of Israel, I've often, I, I, my tours usually last two weeks, and there are times then when I've stayed on my own, my family came later, or once I stayed six weeks on my own and worked on a book. Uh, when I came home from, from that intense, and I had a circle uh, where every other day I'd write, and, and the days in between my writing days, I, I walked through, I lived in, in East Germany in a convent, or in East Germany, what am I doing? In, in East Jerusalem, living in a convent. Uh, uh, then I would walk and, and have coffee in the morning with a Syrian with a Syrian uh, what was he? He was a tailor, who'd lived all his life in Jerusalem, had sewn suits for Mayor Teddy Kolak and for Yasser Arafat. <laughs> And, and, and had grown up in, in, uh, in Damascus, but had lived now in Israel for, for a number of years. Then from there, I would go around into the, the uh, Jewish quarter and meet my friend Moshe, at a bookshop. Then I would stop in at a Palestinian uh, bake oven store that's sort of below the surface. And, and the owner there, we, we had no language to share. He spoke only Arabic, to which I knew almost nothing. And, and he, would, he would have a pita, a piece of, piece of pita bread ready for me and we would shake hands and 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 share share moments together and and then i'd and then i'd go around the corner and speak with meet with two armenian brothers who ran an armenian store which is a christian sect that has one of the quarters of jerusalem and then end up at the university where i where i would had gotten my master's degree earlier uh where we had both Palestinian and Israeli Jewish and American Christian scholars teaching us. And that would be an every other day walk for me. Mm. And and as much as you hear me talking to, a good deal more listening there than I do in, in these yeah. kind of things.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think it's amazing too. And even just contextually for people um, who have never been to to Israel, to that part of the world, like Jerusalem itself is kind of this physical geography this this land this place that is a reflection of the communities and the diversity and the division even when you have this city and as you described you walk through and you're in the jewish quarter and then the, you make a turn and then the next thing you're heading towards like <clears throat> to damascus gate and you're in the arab arabic quarter and then there's the armenian quarter and the christian quarter and so even the way that the city is physically divided up shows this kind of nuanced picture of shared but contended land and that the the holiest of holy sites for for the Jewish people and people of Palestine and all uh, Islam is is literally side by side mm-hmm. like almost sandwiched on top of each other yes. and it's just this thick paradox of diversity and complexity and also unity in that these sites are all important to, to each of us. And yet they're also the source of so much of the conflict is, is ownership and understanding of, of who belongs here. But I, I think before we even go down that road, um, I think something that you've always been good at uh, is finding that middle ground. And, and you had said, I'm not sure why we were able to kind of, you know, get away with some some remarks with our Jewish friends and also, you know, push some of our Palestinian friends. And I think that's because you've always, you and Lois have always found a way mm-hmm. to the middle ground. And I know, like, I didn't grow up going to church. And when I first stumbled into Fraser View, where you were, where you were the pastor, I remember leaving with more questions than answers, and and they were often not my questions, but your questions, the one that you posed and asked, and you weren't uh, preaching with uh, like an authoritative, this is what the Bible says, and it's clear, and it's black and white, and You've always, I think, kind of rebelled against mm-hmm. that. It's not just this or that. It's mm-hmm. never a dualism or a dichotomy of it's either blank or blank. And and I feel like that's what has given you this ability mm-hmm. to to walk through these mm-hmm. quarters and and to sit and visit with Moshe and then go into Abu Ali's and have lunch mm-hmm. and through you know a few broken words of yeah. Arabic, like be able to mm-hmm. have this connection with yeah. with this Palestinian man. And like it's uh, I think it's a reflection of of what's possible but also it feels like so um so few and far between stories like that and mm-hmm. I think it's just it's nice to pause and reflect that they are, they are out there
1: and, and you know what's uh, what what's caught me a lot with with the polarization of our current culture now over COVID or vaccinations or all you have I'm, I'm often finding myself thinking and saying to people I don't know why we've become so afraid of conflict. Yeah. Mm. As someone who's been married for 49 years, we live with tons of conflict, Yes. and we still love each other. So in our homes, we live in controlled conflict or healthy conflict to learn from one another, and somehow we've decided now in our large world, if you don't agree with me or I don't agree with you, we're done. Yeah. Now, the arguments have become really difficult. Uh, because that's been stoked, and we might talk about that a little bit later. But, but, but to live, to live together in the unknowing, live, live some mystery. Uh, you know, I don't know how often, how many times a year, uh, my spouse Lois of forty-nine years says, "You really don't know me, do you?" <laughs> <laughs> and of course, being who I am, I of course I do. You know, I was pretending, or I was being an ass, or but but it's you know she knows. But we, we we can live with conflict, as long as there's respect. Yeah, yeah I think that's something that we've lost and
2: and need to explore more. Living with conflict and and not having animosity towards someone because mm-hmm. they think differently, but also approaching it with a curiosity to how or why yeah. one thinks differently, yeah. and instead of trying to prove prove your point or debate them, just going in with oh, like ask questions so that we can understand others' perspectives versus defending
1: and debating why we think we're right and they're wrong. Curiosity rather than criticism. Yes. And we've lost that or we're losing that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think think one of the things too, like maybe using that as a jump off point is because of that unique ability you have to, to connect with people and be this, you know, outsider and observer but also like interested and invested person to, to be able to see things on both sides and, and to, as you said, kind of like nudge your Palestinian friends mm-hmm. and, and then nudge your Jewish friends in, in those directions and say, well, like what if what if we think about it like this and present that kind of middle ground? You have an interesting theory on part of why this conflict is so big because obviously like leading with curiosity and openness is is a beautiful sentiment and we should all strive for that. But the reality is, is when we're faced with like Really, really awful things, or people mm-hmm. have lost their lives in any type of conflict, and they can look to and the other or to the other side and just mm-hmm. be able to heap and lay blame and have anger and resentment. It's hard to put those feelings aside in place of curiosity, mm-hmm. um, and so that's we can. That's a big piece that I think we can attempt to talk about, but we're never going to solve that because that's really the heart of the -hmm. the situation. But um, having this kind of like middle ground nuanced approach um, where, like, where is it that you see some of the differences in in why this conflict gets so heated so quickly, and it and it has something to do with this theory that you you kind of hold loosely, saying I think from things I've observed, it's it's two very different cultures okay. sandwiched together, or li- literally mm-hmm. right beside each other, and some of the way of working towards peace, we're not going to get there unless we start to identify and understand some of these fundamental um, misunderstandings of one another. Um,
1: okay, I'm ready to go there, but I just want to do one, one in-between thing uh, before we get there in trying to explain how, how I think we, uh, the Middle East, uh, Israel, and the Palestinians, and the Arab nations got there. Um, and and a, a big proponent of this is, is Gabor Mate. Mm-hmm. There's, there, there are hundreds of years here, and if we're going to take the Bible literally, and not everybody does, but if we're gonna take the Bible story literally, Genesis, or in Hebrew Bereshit, uh, uh, Genesis 15 to 21 in the Jewish Bible, in the, in the, in the Christian uh, Old Testament, and, and somewhere I'm sure too in the, in the Islamic uh, literature, uh, there's the story of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. And that's a story of, of the, the beginning of, of the conflict between Sarah's son and Hagar, the concubine's son. And it was promised in those in those ancient writings, whenever they were written down, I mean the stories were told for hundreds of years before they were written down, that there's going to be trouble between these two sets forever. And so some and, and the and the people in the Middle East hold on to that theory a lot more, or that reality in there a lot more than we do here in the West, because to us it's just some old book. Mm-hmm. However, if that isn't enough to bring us to to this hundreds of years of generational trauma we could even just back it up from 1948 to 2023 there's been enough trauma in that territory for all of us to already be carrying generational trauma right. and the people in gaza now for instance are the children and the grandchildren of the people from 1948 uh, the palestinian people in in israel proper now uh, and, and I mean, we can we can go in all sorts of directions on how that happened, and mm-hmm. we, we won't do that here. I, I don't think. But but traumas in the room, and when when we're filled with trauma, we do wild things. That's that's one.
0: Yeah, yeah it's interesting. Even the, the the deal that was brokered in twenty twenty, which you know was. Controversial even at the time, but like uh, it was a Trump administration and a number of other governments working together to try and bring some sense of peace and everything. Like I remember one uh, we were talking about as a current event in our class and a student obviously was doing some reading and said, who is Abraham and, and why did he have an accord in 2020? And I was like, what? And then I was like, oh, the Abraham Accord. Yeah. And that was the name of the peace deal. Yeah. And that's the nod back to the biblical story, which kind of unites and ties all three groups. All three groups right? together. Although Christians were a smaller part, but maybe represented by America. Yeah. But either way, that even just the name of that, and for this young person who wasn't versed in these old dusty books that have stories in them, yeah. uh, that was why, who is Abraham? Like, what yeah. did he have to do with this peace deal? Why? Mm-hmm. Why don't we invite him back yeah. to like work on this? And so, even modern times, right? Geopolitical, for most parts, secular. Yeah. Uh, government structures are borrowing these names to say, "Hey, yeah. like, let's." There's some commonality here, but it mm-hmm. also speaks to the to the long-standing history of mm. people groups yeah. in those places. Yeah,
1: and we belong. And and even back to the land a little bit that you talked about earlier. Um, which is, of a, a course, behind all of this, the land. We in the West here, land, our land is commodity. Mm-hmm. I live in a house now that's going to become a big part of my retirement. In, in the Middle East and with our First Nations people here, our land is our identity. Right. You take away my land, you, you desecrate my land, you've desecrated me. That's, that's almost a foreign concept for us here in the West. Yes. And it shouldn't be. Because it was, it is present in our history, but we've chosen to ignore that. So, so you can't just tell people, "Well, get over it." Yeah, which is sort of the Western quick answer to it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, our idea of property ownership, property is, very ownership is, then, is very different than very different. Because we've lived on this street for twenty years, and now we're going to move to that street, and we liked it, but and it was a big part of our family. But you know, yeah, it's gone. We're moving on now. Yeah. Bigger house, better. Yeah. Yeah. And but when it's you're generationally tied. Yeah. To a place, yeah, it's very, very, very deep and meaningful.
1: Let me go to your question you asked about this. This, and I want, uh, I, I will, I will begin this with this is a this is a theory, uh, an observational theory that I'm really willing to take pushback on from from people. But uh, but I my my observation of modern Israel from '48 to the present, and I spent you know three months and still continue to have friends on on the kibbutz in the northern Galilee from. From that the country in my my studying of Israel modern Israel it, the country was formed in 1948, and the Ashkenazis uh, Jewish people from Western Europe, having come through the the Holocaust and so on, were were pretty my major intellectual leaders who who based who formed the country at, at its beginning. Of course, it's it's there's lots changed since then. But, but what, I, what I've observed that came through that, despite, despite all the exceptions, that the central value of the Ashkenazi founders of Israel was around facts and rationality. The Jews, there was no place safe on earth for them, and that was the Zionist thinking. We've got to find a place there was sort of this handy little biblical references to this is the the holy land for the chosen people so it fit together well and and but it, but it's facts and figures and rea- reality of their reality and often in my street uh, conversations with people and and I talk to people easily and and of course when you're in Israel you get stories from everybody all over the place mm-hmm. and in Palestine uh, the 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 Jewish people the old man that would grab me by the hand uh, would give me facts and figures of evidence for this reality of Israel and why they need to, to fight for it or stand up for it or what they need to do. Then over on the other side, uh, walking through the eastern, eastern city of, of Jerusalem and meeting the shopkeepers and, and the, almost the first thing, once, once you put your hand to the shirt that they're trying to buy you, which is just an introduction, they say, here, let's have some tea. Then you have, you have a three-hour tea and the shirt never comes up again. There's just, let's come back next day. And and we've talked about money, sex, power, you name it, you know, women, children, everything gets put on the table and and you have this conversation. So the the modern Arab-Palestinian central value, in my observation, is unlike the Jewish one or the Israeli one, it's facts, figures, and evidence. Again, there are exceptions, but that's the main DNA. On the Eastern side, on the Arab-Palestinian side, they tell stories and show you pictures, because it's the emotion is the highest value. So, so you've got what you've got in this conversation between uh, between Israel and Palestine or Israel and its Arab neighbors, is is facts versus emotions. Now, when you sit in the room together and people, ninety eight percent of people on both sides of this just want to live in peace. They want their kids to go to school. They want their kids to grow up. They want to see their grandchildren and and die peacefully. That's what almost everybody wants. But when when you and I are in a room and and I want facts and you want just emotional stuff, it's really hard to find. At least that's my sense. Is that's one of the reasons that that they haven't been able to find find different ways because the, our words are nuanced. We can use the same words. Shalom and salam may mean very different things. And then, and then you criticize each other for, for you're, you're, you're using these words incorrectly. So, so it's peace. Everybody agrees with they want peace. But we mm-hmm. can't seem to get there in mm-hmm. any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, and, and some, what some might tie that, that, that maybe Eastern thinking, and again, I, I don't get stereotypical here, but maybe Eastern thinking is, is more uh, shame culture. And Western thinking, Israel is more uh, guilt thinking, and when you got guilt culture and and shame cultures mixing, it's hard to come to a middle ground. Yeah. So I think that's a big picture of my understanding of why we're still here.
0: Right. And then a lot of the, a lot of the people coming into. Offer assistance, whether they are from another government or whatever, are often Western powers. I have no clue because they this. align with that similar Western worldview, which Israel, for the most part, embodies. And I think that it's not a it's it's not a stereotype in the negative sense. I think mm-hmm. it's a it's a helpful clarification, mm-hmm. knowing the the nuance and the caveat that not always all the time, mm-hmm. but for the most part, this is kind of how these two groups express and think, and, and, and maybe we could say it like this, the worldview, the lens that they have.
1: And I, and I think just to add to that, I think which, what you're applying here, Dean, is is I've had probably more calls in the last week from people uh, saying, um, why are the Western leaders coming out so pro-Israeli at mm-hmm. the beginning and end? Now we, we're getting some nuances. There, there's Biden and Trudeau are all stepping back from some of that stuff. Oops, and they'll probably have to do it again. Maybe back the other way. Who knows yeah. what they're doing? But why do they do? Well, because because Israel Israel is Western. It's easier for the Western side to understand the mindset. Yeah, there's
2: similar systems in Israel yes. as to and their the law own.
1: and all. It's a it's a
2: democratic country. Yes, um, yeah. you know, similar constitutional rights. Mm-hmm. Kind of mirror each other in Israel as they do yeah. in the states. Yeah. So, it, yeah. in terms of language and systems, there's more parallels. So, mm-hmm. I think I do think the Western countries um, have a different ease of of parallels with Israel than they do to mm-hmm. other yes. countries that have different systems, different yeah. different cultures yeah. that are are maybe more foreign mm-hmm. to the languages and mm-hmm. systems of the U.S. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um one thing that might be worth clarifying for for people that are not um, knowledgeable on on the the Jewish or or uh Arab history or just the history of the land. I mean, I think you mentioned 1948, but there's there's 2000 plus years of history and conflict on that land and and the land rights and land claims go back, you know, pre pre-biblical times. Um, but you mentioned a, a a group of of Jewish people, the Ashkenazi, Ashkenazi Jewish mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's worth defining like the different groups so that people understand the context of 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 the Jewish people, uh, because I think often part of this this disagreement that we see take place with people that are not from there are just putting it into a lens of of. Israel being the white Mm. settler, Mm. um, defining them as as white people, and the Palestinian people Mm -hmm. representing the BIPOC community. Um, And there are groups of... um, I think the point of this is there's so much nuance, and Mm -hmm. to to try to generalize is Mm -hmm. impossible. But um, as there are in Arabic communities, Mm -hmm. there are different groups in the Jewish communities, and maybe you can kind of share your... Okay. your understanding of that, and I can jump in
1: if, if sure. need be. Um, their uh, history, uh, it's, it's pretty much proven, but there, it is disputed. Always, History is always disputed. Uh, but, but our history tells us that the Jewish people built a temple in Jerusalem. The first temple, there's been two temples sitting in Jerusalem. The first one was destroyed in 586 B.C., and, and the, they're beaten by the Assyrians and dragged off to what is present-day Iran and, uh, and Iraq um, over on, on the east of, of Israel and were taken into, uh, into captivity, the Babylonian captivity. And uh, that's, that's 600 years BCE. Right. And, and so there was a diaspora. People were dragged over there. Some came back 70 to 90 years later. Some didn't. Uh, and that temple was, was improved, cleaned up, fixed up, ignored, fixed up, cleaned, and rebuilt by King Herod early in, in uh, the turn of the millenniums from uh, zero, uh, which the Christians take credit for moving from B.C. to A.D. <laughs> um, but then, then the Romans had so much trouble with, with an, a number of people that were in the land and the, and the Jewish people that had returned from the diaspora, the second temple was then destroyed in 70 AD and a huge diaspora again. And they were sent out of the city of Jerusalem and they left or were forced out and gone, burnt out. Some stayed behind, some always do. Usually the poor disenfranchised stay and those who had any power or threat to the, to the system ran. They went to Europe, they went to Africa, they went to Morocco, they, they spread all over the then known world. And, and uh, the ones that went to Europe and lived in Western and Eastern Europe, they became known as the Ashkenazi. And the ones that had stayed over in, in Iran and in the Babylonian era, they became known as Sephardic. Sephardic. There are many ways to... to, to and there were names in all different languages, Greek, Roman, and, and Hebrew, and, and, uh, and Arabic, and all those terms get mixed up. And then, for example, one of my tour guides, uh, Dovev, uh, he can trace his family back to the 586 Babylon times wow uh, my other friend uh, Ephraim who I met on the kibbutz in 1974 he traces his family back to Poland right so they're Ashkenazi yes to Sephardic and and they and and so hundreds of years of developing of mindset and ways of living together and that's only two of the groups there are multiple groups then you start to add the religious groups in there and and again we've already seen on the internet uh, a number of the ultra-orthodox jewish people are saying well we never supported this land of israel anyway and are being interviewed by the palestinians al jazeera and and some of these other broadcasters and it's and it's going back and forth as if there's a new answer well I. Uh, one of my professors uh two of my professors that i had in israel when i was working on my master's degree who were who were scholars from hebrew university uh jokingly but not used to say not only do we have layers of of different people groups within every people group but he said i want you to know especially this this one prof who was very colorful he said two jews three opinions (laughs) so and 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 also in terms of the conflict uh there, even even though there, we have been had this massive conflict between the Israelis and the Palestinians, uh, at some levels at some levels, good friendships. Mm-hmm. I with my own, I've seen lots of good friendships, and even today uh, we were reminded at our dinner table or, uh, a couple of days ago when the family was over. We talked about Mamila, which is this very modern shopping center right close to to Jaffa Gate, with with almost Paris like shops. Uh, hundred meters from the Jaffa Gate which is from the ancient wall and the Jaffa Gate itself is from the 1500s in those shops that you could be in New York or in Paris or or Vancouver uh, many of them I guess are Jewish owned but many of the young people running these shops or working in the shops are Palestinian right and and they have they are living together and have found a way through the generations. In fact, it's almost more fraught now than ever in some ways. Uh, they had learned to live with... Well, there was some kind of respect, you hear that. But then, but then in the history, then of course, uh, after the diaspora and, and before the State of Israel... The British Mandate was there. They, I think we can say they sort of messed it up in their own way, and then the United Nations tried to fix it. Some theorists talked about one of the reasons uh, Israel-Palestine is so fraught is because it grew out of the guilt of the West. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a good-natured, here's here's a place you can live. Uh, I have Jewish writers who write the fact that the Holocaust is one of the, the, memory of the Holocaust is one of the things that's tied us up, and have said, that's a negative how do we build a positive uh, milieu? How do we build positive thinking out of a huge negative? And yet, we can't afford to forget. Yeah. So then again, those are those dilemmas, those contradictions that you get there. Don't forget, but, but, you know. Yeah.
0: And I think that's where people, like, when they are observers and they might not know the depth and breadth of the history of the place, like, we look to the last hundred or so years Mm -hmm. and say okay and then make make a, a statement and and we can rightfully say something like genocide of anyone anywhere should never happen again right and how many times have we been faced with some sort of genocide whether it's the, the newly awakened, like attempted genocide of indigenous peoples in, in Canada and North America, like calling it that mm-hmm. or the genocide that we saw, you know, 15, 17 years ago in Darfur and even with like weaker Muslims and people saying, well, this looks a lot like genocide being perpetrated by a people group that was the victims of it. And and I think that that's where a lot of the the tension comes because it's a group that has has very recently still, uh, in recent memory, experienced the, the horrific reality of simply being uh, oppressed for who you are. Mm-hmm. And now people are, you know, and social media often fuels these things in kind of pseudo-informed ways yes. where it's what you're saying, there's some truth to it, but it's not entirely true. Yeah. And that's yeah. where you can you can debate in comments and people become intractable and and if you post something or share something or like something or comment on a certain way now you as a person I will write off because you are a supporter of genocide mm-hmm. by this group that said never again. Okay. And the nuance is lost and I and I think that you know nothing will nothing will be more greater than my sadness and heartbreak for the loss of lives as we've said before on on both sides. Mm-hmm. But once I kind of process and work through that, there's another layer of sadness that, uh, as a society, we have such a hard time having a conversation about it without just becoming so defensive and intractable ourselves and kind of putting up these walls rather than attempting to be like okay can i see it differently what am i not understanding or how is this person maybe seeing it differently than me we just try to write it off
1: and i think what you're alluding to too is that because because the history is so old people have long memories yes we have short memories they have long memories and and uh and and uh, I have to be really careful in mentioning this because it can sound like uh, like colonial arrogance, but but I've been told by by locals on all sides of the stories there that that the land also uh, when you had tribes and had family tribes, uh, you you had long memories and you it was a, a revenge culture. Mm-hmm. You settled the score. You settled the injustices within you know one family to another. Mm-hmm. And and so if my son was killed there, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth is, is not just an Old Testament biblical. Yeah, that came out of the cultures, mm-hmm. the Bedouin cultures or whatever you would call them. That are that that's and, and those those DNAs that that they they live in the collective memory and we act on them uh, unconsciously mm-hmm. often, and it's it's seeking justice.
2: Yes. It's interesting that collective memory and collective trauma, I think for both people, I mean, I can speak more to the Jewish history than the Palestinian history, but because it has been one of exodus and discrimination and, and um, you know, genocide and, and you know, it's a, the Jewish people are only f- around 15 million people, you know, and it's one of the oldest histories mm-hmm. in the world. And that's mm-hmm. because they are survivors that have been mm. kicked out of one place to yeah. the next and escaped and and had to be nomadic out of survival yeah um, and I think in similar ways that's the truth of the Palestinian people yeah. too that yeah. have not had a home in a lot of Arab nations mm-hmm. either no um, and have had a similar discrimination from from many groups of people so there's a shared trauma a shared history of trauma of not being accepted and having to to try to survive thousands of years yeah. in a place where it seems impossible
0: which it almost seems impossible to imagine these two sides on this current moment and say wow wow there's like a bit of a shared story here yes. it almost fe- mm. it feels impossible but when you as you just put it you're like oh my gosh there's there is more similar and you think of you think of the people of Israel and there's many of them they're like well yeah, no, we, we want to live at peace. And there's as many uh, Palestinians saying, we want to live at peace. And it's kind of in some ways, uh, the fringe that is causing this disruption. But then when it comes to the fact of, we are going to cause harm towards you, simply because you exist, no matter which side that goes, that's where it's really hard to, to, to back Take that step back and say, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Let's find our commonality. Let's find that we're both we both kind of have this history of of being displaced people, and mm-hmm. like, is there a bridge? Is there a potential bridge in that story?
1: I mean, well, then in the meantime, what has happened? I think in in now our most recent area we, era, we have the growth of fundamentalism, yes, right? Yes. And as soon as we're fundamentalists, we're intolerant. We're we're uh, we have a sense of entitlement we're prejudice. And, and, and part of this issue here is, is, I think, very controversial, of course. But the settlements, we, the settlements haven't been handled in, in, I think, a healthy way that mm-hmm. builds peace. No. Uh, it could have been negotiated. They could have worked together. They did it various times. But, but now it's ramped up to a place to how, how do you come back from that? And and you don't need to have official. You don't even need to have official protocols. You you put hotheads close together, mm-hmm. and they'll do the job for you. Right. And I think that's happened on all sides. Um, you uh, you you, well, it 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 just blows up. Yeah. So
2: how do we get? Okay, I'm gonna put um. You know, I think we can jump back and forth between kind of some historical context and and experiential stories, but also. I think what society needs is, is some healing. And um, mm. maybe I can ask the both of you just some questions on, on this. Um, like, how do we get to a point that we can sit at the same table together? Because I think the sides are so far apart. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think just for acknowledgement, like I think Hamas and the Palestinian people are are different categories mm, yes uh, yes just i would say yes defining i don't think mm-hmm. just like the israeli government doesn't represent jewish people at large throughout the world i don't think Hamas and, and maybe that
1: changed even more in the last week yes yeah. yes yes even yeah.
2: though they're both you know the elected governments of mm-hmm. those people i don't mm-hmm. think they represent no the wishes of the majority mm-hmm. of uh jewish and palestinian people but i think when there's so much hatred and anger we're, we're yelling it we're hurt these these people humanity I think are hurt and sad and angry and there's so much of that that it's hard to see commonality. It's just easier to point fingers and have enemies when you're so hurt and you're Mm -hmm, so angry mm -hmm. because it's easier to do that than to go within. So how do we get to a point that we can even sit at the same table together because I think you know we might not be ready to I'm I'm speaking very generally here, mm-hmm. but to uh, to have conversation, but to get to the table together, what is the first step to to get to that table?
1: Your question brings up two things. Uh, one of the books that uh, that uh, it's it's not a new book anymore, uh, but uh, that I give uh, that I suggest that people read who are interested, the Lemon Tree, mm. uh, which is the story of a of a house that a that a Jewish family from Eastern Europe got close to, to Tel Aviv, and it was former Palestinian home. And the Palestinians come back after the Six-Day War, and Dalia, the Jewish woman, uh, gets to know, uh, oh, I've forgotten his name now. Anyway, uh, he's, he's the Arab boy that grew up in the home, and his father had planted a lemon tree in the backyard. That home exists now as a joint uh, sort of peace effort between the local Palestinians israeli Palestinians israeli uh, Arabs and and the local Jewish community and Dalia landau is part of that whole conversation and I've met her on a number of occasions where they have found an uneasy way to live together around the house he wanted her to give the house back and she wouldn't
2: interesting but
1: what what she did was she turned it over to to uh it's mostly in there when they were not when they're not doing workshop it's a it's a kindergarten for educating Palestinian teachers and for uh kindergarten school for Palestinian kids in neighborhoods so she's she's yeah so they found a way uh a uh, dynamic story um I have lost track of the group and and I just I was just I know I was hearing about it in in probably the early 2000s, a group had started, and I didn't know the name, and I don't know why I haven't chased it down. There were a group of mothers, Palestinian and Israeli mothers meeting to talk about, uh, uh, in some ways, maybe, I don't know how strong the feminism was in there, but I know a a line of it was, well, the men haven't fixed this. Mm. But if we mothers can agree to, 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 to start a movement that would... Get us to agree to stop killing one another's children. Mm-hmm. That's probably the deepest pain we've all felt, and that's one thing we a mother understands. A mother uh, uh, is that a kind of backsided uh, sexism here? I'm not sure, but but one of the thing, when when people have asked me, you know, really say, "Do you have any hope on this?" I said, "Well, I often come home uh, on the plane, scratching my head, and say, boy, I don't know how they're going to get there,' but I feel hopeful when I hear." And, and, I, and I saw a group of the women uh, talking in that group uh, in, uh, in Jerusalem once. That felt hopeful for me when these mums, they cried together, mm-hmm. laughed together, and slowly, slowly tried to educate their children to say there's a new way. Mm-hmm. There, there has to be a third way on this. Uh, but again, when we polarize and push the edges, then we're no long, we can't get there anymore. So, have they disappeared? Is there that movement anymore? Uh, but that's one thing that has given me hope in the stories. Uh, Some uh, others
2: I'm going as we continue to talk. There's I found a I read a prayer from mothers that I'll I'll bring up to share later in this conversation. Yeah. If if someone um, has come to you in the past to to help process sadness and anger and grief what kind of guidance do you have you, have you offered in the past to, to help process these these experiences these feelings
1: it sounds cliche but to name to name for me to to try to find language and 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 images and a, and give a perception back to the person that i have at least some understanding of of what that must have felt like all the way from Holocaust right through to, to, you know, the expulsions if they happened or the burning of villages or whatever, whatever the stories are to, to, and it's, it's really elementary, but it's to, to enter into the pain of it. And, uh, and, uh, I'm the youngest of five. So I've always cried easily <laughs> in my life <laughs> and to this day. And, and so the, the, the the tears that have come into my eyes of hearing people on both sides mm-hmm. uh, leaves me with a with a a yes but mm-hmm. to every story every grand story of victory a Jewish person Israeli person tells me uh, there's a yes but and for every story that a Palestinian tells me uh, there's uh, on how they've been badly treated by the Israelis there's a yes but. And and, uh, and and this is a long way around to to your story of uh, of how, how we hear the contradictions and, and where we're shared. Uh, we met one day with a, a former uh, Israeli uh, high high level Israeli uh, soldier who was now out of the force, and he he told us that he would he'd been involved uh, working with providing uh, concrete for Gaza to build to build houses to build these high-rises that we see in the news now, some of them being bombed, some of them not. And they were going across the border, and, and just the day before he met with us here, Israel had cancelled that service of all these trucks going in with concrete. Now, what was a, a financial arrangement? I have no idea, but anyway, they'd shut it off because they discovered and they've got people working on the other side of the border for them that that feed them information which is one of the puzzles of how that this attack happened on on the 7th of October that Israel didn't know this was happening they've never they've never done a terrible faux pas like that before but it but it happened uh, but so they've had information they got the information that a lot of that concrete that was going in was going into building tunnels under that's what they were hearing, and that's what mm-hmm. the story was. Again, I wasn't there; I didn't see it with much. But they realized that a lot of the cement was being used uh, for to build these tunnels back into Israel underground. So they had suspended it. So we met; we heard that story, and I always had a group of twenty-two or twenty-three Canadians listening, and they said, "Hmm, wow, yeah, I guess that's good." The next day, we went to visit an NGO that works completely with Gazans. And we had this nice presentation about living peace and supporting the Gazans and so on. And then all of a sudden, the woman, all of a sudden, she just turns and says, and you know what? Just yesterday, for absolutely no reason, the Israelis have stopped giving us, given the Gazans cement to build their houses. Uh, period. Well, these 2022 people are in my group, they all turned and looked at me. And, the, and there is, they had just heard that it was because of the, because of the tunnels that were being built. But this other story was that it was just the meanness of the Israel to not want Palestinians to build houses. Right. So we got in the bus. We got away from these people. And I said, so what do you think? What's the true story here? And their heads dropped.
2: Well, everyone's truth is their lived experience. Right? It's their
1: lived experience. And there it is. And so, so now how, how would you, if you were in a position of leadership now, how would you get this these people back on track? Yeah.
0: I think <clears throat> I think in many ways too just to bring to bring this back like that story you shared really illustrates like in many ways the theory of how we talk about these things mm-hmm. facts and figures mm-hmm. we've learned mm-hmm. there's evidence mm-hmm. we can analyze and say this concrete is going to be used to build something that is mm-hmm. like not a good thing and mm-hmm. that's not what we're sending it in there for mm-hmm. so given the data in front yeah. of us and yeah. our analysis and our logical rational yeah. thinking yeah no cement yeah and on the other side it's, a, it's an emotive story. It's simply because bullies and the meanness and for no reason it was cut off. Yeah. And maybe, right, half of the cement was going to tunnels and half of it was going to build houses. So the truth of it is no houses were being yeah. built, Yeah. right? But also it's like that emotive feeling of like, so which side is true? Well, maybe both, right? Well. Is it an inflated sense of I need you to feel... The hardship of you what I'm feeling, feel yes. so that you can understand yes. m- my truth, yeah. yeah. And and in many ways, that story kind of illustrates that those two different perspectives. Those perspectives,
1: and of course, the Palestinians would say, "We shouldn't. It's not like we re, we really wish we could produce our own concrete, but because of the situation, we can't." Yeah. So so then, when does that ever end? Yeah. It's the same. It's the same argument as who was here first. Hmm. Who is it? Where does first begin? How are borders you know, most borders in the world were determined through a war. Yeah. And and, and when we when we seek justice today, for, to, to try to try to correct an error of 40, 50, 100 years ago, we may well be creating... now that's not a reason to not seek justice, but we may well be creating a new injustice that is no better than that other one. So when do when do we find a time out? And find a way. Yeah, Um, and that's where you know. And and for me to tell, to walk in. To an Israeli-Palestinian, if I was invited into a hotel room and and say, okay, let's find a way. What do I know?
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. But I think at the same time, and I and I mean, I think that the reason why we we wanted to have this conversation, like we went back and forth. It was like, should we even do it? Should we like? It's not without a fair bit of like fear and trepidation. Like not for getting canceled or anything stupid like that but because it's such a delicate situation and we recognize that there's just severe and deep pain on on both sides and and to speak in a way that you know we just would never want to come across as cavalier or well it's as simple as just be open-minded and be curious like come on when we're talking about literal life and death of yeah. of innocent people yeah. like it's that is that is the that is the the pause around this conversation however i think That it is the mothers sitting with each other and experiencing anger, right? And being just so hurt and and experiencing the pain of the other and seeing the humanity in the other that... Mm -hmm. Like would really help to bridge the gap. Of course, you know, the bigwigs, the leaders, the politicians, the presidents, and they're they're going to come in and offer these geopolitical solutions. And they have their advisors that are nuanced in the history and the religion and da 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 da. da. And they're going to make these decrees. But I think it's the it's the women, it's the mums sitting across from each other saying, "My little boy,
1: yeah, <sighs> yeah, yeah." Yeah.
0: And they need to see that in each other. Yeah. Right? Like that's just that's what's so hard about it is that it's not simply well let's just redraw some borderlines and everything will be fine. It's like, no, let's start to see the humanity in each other. And I mean it's it feels Mm -hmm. almost impossible. But then you see stories where it's possible. Mm -hmm. And that's so inspiring. And I think it's the it's the 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 nameless moms Mm -hmm. and dads and brothers and people who are gonna choose Mm -hmm. to in spite of the loss and the pain, to to try and bridge bridge a gap that seems yeah. impossible to cross.
2: Yeah. yeah, Dean, I just shared a poem. So Dan, I always um, I like how Dean reads things. So I often pass things to him, <laughs> and and um, there's a few that we can read, but this is one that stuck out. It's 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 the cry. It's a poem about the cry of a mother, and and I think how we started humanizing. I think there's an attempt to dehumanize. There's so much propaganda and misinformation and there's attempts to dehumanize people and, and ask for, you know, people who want evidence of, of children, you know, photos of, of children that have had these tragic deaths instead of just sitting in sadness with what has happened. Um, we want proof so that we can put a number on a, on a score sheet to mm. say these people mm. have struggled or suffered and they're, they're now, their, their sadness is, is, is worth this time because they've lost this many people. And like we talked about at the beginning, we're losing the, the forest for the trees. Mm-hmm. Um, Dean, would you, would you be down to read that? And then we can kind of see how yeah. that takes us.
0: Yeah. The wail of the mother is the most universal and primal part of us. We equate the shofar that we blast on Rosh Hashanah with the wail. We acknowledge this very wail has no religion though, no culture, no identity connected to it as the story goes, that the very wail of the shofar is also the wail of the mother of our enemy as well as our own mothers. The wail of mothers are what we know to be the truth inside all of us. Let us wail together. Hmm. Let us hear one another's wails. Let the world hear our people's wails. They are piercing, they are ringing, they are stinging. Let us mother one another as we wail. Hold us as we wail. May we listen, may we witness, may we not look away. May we wake up to the call inside of us. To the call of this moment, may we wail for our babies. That's written by Rabbi Tova.
2: Rabbi Tova.
0: Hmm.
2: Yeah. Powerful. I listening to that as a parent. If you saw a child in pain, crying, suffering, your intuition would be to help. Hmm. And I think if there's any takeaway is to listen to that cry of a mother, of a parent, of a brother, of a sister, as a son, mm-hmm. and not to look away, but to to help and to be to lend to to reach a hand instead of turning a cheek and seeing it as as another, othering each other instead of hearing that that whale that connects all suffering and all pain hmm.
1: it's it my emotion uh, since the 7th has been i've never i've never felt survivors guilt mm. coming out of out of my second home or this place that i love to go to for its for its rich dynamics and, and I've, I've wanted to get on a plane and go. Mm-hmm. To do what? You know, our Canadian government is supposed to be getting 300 people out of there and I would jump on a plane and go? Uh, uh, well, what would I do there, somebody asked, because I've articulated that to somebody. I said, I don't know. Help anybody, everybody that's crying. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe too many years of counseling or something, <laughs> but, and, 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 and always uh, to your question earlier, um, grief, Grief work is is simple work. It's a touch on the hand. It's making a coffee run. It's holding somebody that's crying. But it's usually simple, small things that remind people. I've noticed that when you touch people that are in uh, grieving, their hand pulls away. They're surprised that they still feel touch. Because when a loved one dies, you think you yourself have also died, and you have in some sense. And so the gentle, appropriate touch for grieving people reminds them that they're still alive and that's hope into the future. I am still alive. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. It's a hard conversation to navigate because I think we look for, we want solutions, you know, mm-hmm. like we yeah. want Western, our Western brains want, want to be able to solve problems mm-hmm. and, and equate reasons why we want one plus one equals two and I think in this there is no there is no easy equation, and there's no easy answer. Mm-hmm. So it's it's navigating conversations. But I think, like Dean mentioned, like we had a lot of trepidation and hesitation to have this conversation. But I, I think for us, this is a starting point. It's just mm. having open dialogue, having conversation, um, not being closed. Um, I think, like you said, to touch someone in pain and and to try to comfort. I think in, in this modern world, even to, to text someone and just say, Hey, I'm thinking about you. Mm. Um, we're, I mean, we're three guys that cry sitting here, but like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've gotten so many texts from friends just being like, Hey, thinking about you. And I just read it that simple text and I yeah. just start crying Yeah, yeah, because it's, it's so powerful. So to reach out, I think is a radical act of, of compassion, just to say hi. I, I hope you're okay. I'm and thinking it, and, about you.
1: And it could be so ironic. Like uh, somebody asked, you know, I'm on the phone and have number calls and texts and WhatsApp from from people in Israel these days. And and they uh, said, well, what are your conversations? And I said, well, it's kind of ironic because here I am, uh, a Mennonite Christian yeah. clergyman doing pastoral care with secular Jewish people. <laughs> yeah i would never call it pastoral care for them yeah. yeah but but asking how they're doing where are we doing and and i have lost uh which maybe tells you what side i've been on it but uh i've lost my contact with the palestinians that i had to do that but i would do the same thing of course and 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 even mourn with those that saw what others had done sort of in their name which yes. which they wouldn't claim yeah mm-hmm. uh and uh i i have a an ending story uh uh, of, uh, that I wasn't present, but I was close to a person that was. Uh, many years ago, there was a story of a bus moving over Mount Carmel. Uh, and it, it was, uh, Mount Carmel is, uh, the Druze, the Druze-Arab people are up on Mount Carmel. But there was a mix of, on the, apparently on this bus. I knew the man that, that experienced this. Um, the bus had, had Jewish people and Druze and then Palestinian, Israeli-Palestinians on the bus. As it was at that point in the way I guess it works, the Jewish people were sitting at the front and the Jews and the Palestinians were sitting at the back. They were stopped at a, at a checkpoint by two young Israeli soldiers who obviously afraid, young, probably new recruits because this was a non-hot spot but was it was a place where buses stopped. The young Israeli soldier got on in his 18, 19-year-old voice, asked the Palestinians and the Jewish people to get off the bus. He didn't ask the Jewish people to get off the bus and lined them up beside the bus and asked them to show their, their papers, which they, had, which they did, and of course they were grumbling about it, and this young soldier, because he was tense, it didn't go that well, and and the Jewish people stayed on the bus, and then when, it, when he'd gone through the papers, the young soldier said, okay, they could get on the bus. A very brave Arab elder said, young man asked permission to speak to the Israeli soldier, and for some reason the Israeli soldier said yes. He said, you know, you've done something today that that I think you have hurt your own people. You're Jewish, aren't you? And he said, yes, I'm Jewish. He says, you have, in singling us out, us Palestinians and Druze men on this bus, you singled out the people that you left on the bus. Could I ask you to ask the Jewish people to get off the bus and to also have them show you their identity cards, because they all have them. And the Jewish soldier said, yes. So the people came off the bus and they all ended up showing each other Hmm. their identity cards. And when they got back on the bus, they were spread throughout and were talking to each other. Hmm. That's pretty good.
0: I think for me, it just hits home the point that we need it's like the average, it's the average people. It's those small and courageous yeah. acts to, to dare to choose peace, to look for connection uh, over and above your maybe righteous and rightful yeah. pursuit of yeah. vengeance and revenge, but to to opt into a, a more human way, a more elevated way to say, I, I want to choose peace yeah. in spite of the impossible task that that often is mm-hmm. for us as fallen broken human beings mm-hmm.
2: there's um there's a couple of James Baldwin quotes and I think we can maybe read one and then maybe close with a with a prayer or a thought mm-hmm. for everybody listening and I think you can read this on both sides I think it's a it's a call call to action and how we see and how we disagree um James Baldwin's got so many. He's got a, a, another one that I shared, but he says, we can disagree and still love each other unless your disagreement is rooted in my oppression and denial of, of my humanity and right to exist. So I think just, I mean, we don't need to explain that, but let it sit with you. Whether you're not seeing one people or the other, we have to see ourselves as a, a, a human population. You know, it, it's it's so unique that other animals that we share this planet with don't try to separate their own like we do. Mm, mm.
1: Uh, one of the, I don't know which ancient rabbi said, while it is not mine to complete the task, neither is it mine to not attempt to do so. Mm. And, and again, I think Western, you know, we're going to solve a problem. no. We're going to open the door. And if we can just crack the door today, maybe that's enough. Right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Just yeah. O- open the door. I think yeah. that's open the, door. open the door. Yeah. Um, Dan, I'm so, so grateful of of you taking time to sit and share with us and just, you know, getting to share this conversa- conversation. Mm. You know, I, I I now know that, uh, and from what Dean's shared your man of, of of many stories and many experiences and you know I hope to break bread together in sure. future times and 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 maybe we can have you back on we love to continue these conversations and we like to explore uh you know the the deeper meanings of life and I Thank think you. you'd be a fun person to Thank you. explore sure. those with we'd love to do <laughs> so I think you know part two we can go into to other areas of, of life and humanity and faith and, and, and spirituality. Uh, but I thought to kind of bookend this conversation, um, maybe, you know, you can share a, a, a prayer.
1: We'd love to do that. O oh God of life and love and peace, we witness the violence and injustice in your holy land and our hearts break. Our hearts break for the people of Israel, for the victims of violent attacks by Hamas, For those who live with fear and insecurity, for those who suffer from the intergenerational trauma of violence. Our hearts break for Palestinians, for the victims of violent attacks by the Israeli army, for those being denied water, electricity and medical care, for those who are refugees long displaced from their homes. We especially pray that weapons of war be laid down, that walls of separation be dismantled, that prisoners be released, the demonizing of the other cease that political leaders seek the good of all people in Palestine and Israel. O God, whose heart breaks the world, may your justice dwell in the land. May your righteousness abide in fruitful fields. May the effects of righteousness be quietness and trust forever. May the effect of justice be peace, enduring peace. Amen.
0: Well, thank you, Danny, so much for being here, for sharing with us, for navigating a, a difficult conversation, one full of nuance and, and shedding some of your light and your experience and wisdom uh, on on this. And, and hopefully we can move towards a sense of more openness and peace and curiosity as we as we continue to dwell and as this situation really continues to change day by day, it seems. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Well, as we wrap this episode, we just want to take a moment to express our gratitude to our sponsors, uh, Caldera Lab, makers of the finest men's skincare products. There are natural ingredients. You won't find better skincare products. It's simple. They're effective. They help you feel good. They help you look good um, and really, really easy to use. Great and effective skincare products for men. You want to check them out. Zach and I love their products. Simple regimen, three simple steps, two times a day to help your face look and feel visibly younger. And uh, yeah really important to take care of ourselves in simple ways when the world around us is uh is a challenging place so we appreciate our sponsor caldera lab to check them out and to take advantage of our exclusive offer visit slash more good you'll get 20 percent off your products that you order there when you go to calderalab.com slash more good and of course our friends at ag1 thankful for their foundational nutrition Looking after our gut health, our internal health, the probiotics and prebiotics and 75 high quality vitamins and minerals and natural food sources that are in AG1. Start our day every day perfectly on the right foot looking after our foundational nutrition, not having to worry throughout the day about what we're consuming. We've got that baseline covered with AG1. And to take advantage of their exclusive offer for you, our listeners, and to make sure that you can get dialed in with your routines and simplify and level up your daily health routine with AG1, go to drinkag1.com slash more good. That's drinkag1.com slash moregood to take advantage of their special offer. You will get five free travel packs and a year's supply of immune-supporting vitamin D3. That's drinkag1.com slash moregood. We are grateful to our sponsors. And of course, the very last thing, and perhaps most important, if you listen to this episode and you feel like you want to help out, you want to make a difference, but you just don't know how, there are a few excellent organizations that we would recommend you partner with. Um, Danny mentioned uh, his work with MCC and his connection to MCC in the episode. Uh, MCC is uh, short for Mennonite Central Committee. Uh, they are an agency, a relief agency, that goes into places that need support and they offer it um, to people in need and they uh, are a Canadian organization so you can donate to them. You will, Any donations will be... Uh, Over $20 will be given a taxable refund so you can uh, get a little help for yourself while you help people who are in desperate need. And MCC, as responding to the Palestine and Israel conflict, you can learn more about their response on their website at mcc.org. That's mcc.org. So if you'd like to donate to, to make a difference, you can do that. Of course, um, you can go to uh, many other, maybe more well-known uh, organizations as well. Um, for example, SaveTheChildren.ca is a wonderful organization that works to help children caught in crisis, and we know that that is certainly the case with the unfolding conflict in Israel and Palestine right now, SaveTheChildren.ca and um, also UNICEF, UNICEF UNICEF.org. You can also donate there, um, helping children in Gaza and uh, the war uh, between Israel and Palestine going on right now, uh, and so please, please, uh, if you can, if you have means, uh, make a donation. Inform yourself. You can find many, many places that also align with your own personal values, or maybe you have a personal connection to a charity organization. But please join us in supporting um, the people in need as they are affected. Uh, it's the civilians and the citizens, and certainly the children that. Um, need us to rally around and support, uh, in this, in this current time. So thank you for listening. Uh, we appreciate you, uh, tuning in. We recognize that this is not an easy conversation to have, but, uh, we felt like by having it, we would hopefully contribute to, um, just a little bit more of the goodness that can come when we talk about these things and try to build bridges, uh, rather than walls. And we recognize, um, yeah, just the, the difficulty of, of even that statement in this current, moment. So uh, as Danny prayed, we echo prayers for peace around the globe, but certainly in this small corner of the world that is just so heavily affected by conflict right now. Um, So yeah, Lord have mercy and uh, may we all be empowered and emboldened to do our little bit of good from wherever we are, whatever that looks like. Okay, friends, thank you for listening. Be well.
2: See you next week.